Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, elders, for the privilege to preach. And I think as um, one prepares the word for a Sunday... It is a miracle in itself if you make it to Sunday, <laughs> because the enemy really will try every way to uh, dissuade you to, to do what, he, what God has called you to do. Not that he can all that much, but he sure can put thoughts in our minds to make us think that we shouldn't. So we've been in Acts for majority of this year, and who knew that 28 chapters in the Bible would have so much to say and would reveal so much to us? But we know now. Acts 19 verse 1 to 20 in the NIV says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God, heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits. Some of the Jews who went around and driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Yikes. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What a sight. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What an intense scripture with so much happening. But first, a map of Ephesus. 
There we go. So that Ephesus is then red, which is also in the west coast of modern-day Turkey. Most of Acts is playing off in modern-day Turkey, which is very interesting. This city was one considered, once considered the most important Greek city and the most important trading city within the Mediterranean region. It was later taken over by Roman rule as everything in that time. It was a huge city and it was the epicenter of most Greek and Roman gods. Ephesus was the home to the temple of Artemis. Now this is a really big deal because after verse 20, things follow around this. Now Artemis is the goddess of the hunt, chastity, childbirth, wild animals in the wilderness, which is just like just everything, I suppose. This temple was the largest building in the world at that time, as long as a football field and known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This temple was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. That's crazy, right? That's a really big deal for them. Now, when one Googles about Ephesus, not too much is said other than the importance of this thing, this temple of Artemis. We can almost believe that this was the most important thing for the Ephesians. And then, we can, it can almost lead us to believe that if God was to break through in this city, it would have to be crazy radical. The title for today is We Can't Fake It Till We Make It. Now, fake it till you make it suggests that by imitating confidence, competence, and an optimistic mindset, a person can fake these qualities in real life and achieve the results they seek. But the point is, on our Christian walk, we cannot fake it until we make it. So Paul arrives in Ephesus and stumbles upon these 12 disciples. They were disciples of John the Baptist. They might have not actually been walking with him in that time, but they might have known about his baptism, his message of repentance. So they believed in water baptism and only of the teaching of repentance. So they were on their way to the way, but they did not know the way yet. Lol. Paul tells them, but wait, there's more. There's more to just this repentance. There's more to just baptism of water. He tells them about Jesus. Then they get baptized with water and Paul lays on hands and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues and prophesy. Chop, chop. There's no delay. No joining course, no 12-step program, no proving themselves, just eager hearts. When each of us truly becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to live inside of us, giving us at least one spiritual gift and supernaturally empowering us to make a hearty effort to carry on the work of Jesus. In this world, water baptism is an outward symbol of the internal baptism of the Holy Spirit. It should be noted that the reception of the Holy Spirit in Acts does not follow any set pattern. There are three ways throughout Acts 
that this happened. The Holy Spirit came into believers before baptism, at the time or after baptism, and by the laying on of hands. The Holy Spirit came before baptism. You can see in Acts 10 verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now at the time or after baptism in Acts 8 verse 12 to 16, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself, this was Simon the sorcerer, himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And third example, by the laying on of hands, Acts 8 verse 17 says, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And Acts 19 verse 6 says, When Paul placed his hands on those twelve disciples, the Holy Spirit came, and then they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This means that we cannot form doctrines around how it should be done. What is important is that every believer receives the Holy Spirit. And it is a magnificent gift that we cannot actually work for. Romans 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Friends, it is not something that we can earn if we look at the example of the 12 disciples, and not Jesus' 12 disciples, these in Ephesus, they were just eager. They were eager for the next step. They didn't prove themselves nothing. They were just eager, and the Holy Spirit filled them. Now, what is tongues? Because in the beginning of Acts 19, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So what is tongues? It is speaking a heavenly language enabled by the Holy Spirit. Our first introduction to tongues is in Acts 2, from verse 1, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Imagine that sight. There are two clear purposes of tongues. One is for edification of ourselves and the other is tongues with interpretation. Now, the one, the edification of oneself, is the building up of one's own spirit when we don't know what to pray or when we're feeling under attack or down. It is a way to connect with God in a spiritual way. The second one is then there's, there's tongues with interpretation. This is the spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, and it usually happens within a public meeting and is a sign for the unbeliever. Someone on this side of the room will get a tongue, 
and someone on this, room, on this side of the room will feel like they have the interpretation. Sometimes the same person giving the tongue might give the interpretation. There's no set way, but for that type of public tongue, there needs to be an interpretation. Otherwise, it might just sound like gibberish. What is prophecy? It is hearing from God and telling people. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is encouraging. It is not uncovering others' dark, deep secrets. It's encouraging. It's about calling us into the destiny that God has for us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 11 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, this Holy Spirit that filled these 12 disciples, it's this Holy Spirit that gives these gifts. Different kind of gifts of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, and to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, each one, each one, just as he determines. Now imagine if you looked under your chair and there was a little box, a gift box. There isn't. <laughs> but that is how these gifts are. He gives us these gifts, and it is amazing. And it is important for us to know what the Bible says about these things, because they are in the Bible. It is not foreign. It is not weird. It is beautiful gifts from the Holy Spirit who forms a third part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 verse 4 to 8 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. And if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. That is Barnabas. Earlier on in Acts, he, he was literally, his name was Joseph and he was renamed Barnabas because he was named son of encouragement. He took it very serious. It is, if it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently, which is really amazing today because we are ordaining new deacons. If it is to lead, lead diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Corinthians 14, if you wanted to know anything about prophecy and tongues, Paul says a lot in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25, but I'll summarize it. Don't stress. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. 
I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. It goes on to say, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And that is, if tongues are just spoken left, right, and center, no one will understand what's going on. Unless we speak intelligible words with our tongue, how will anyone know what we are saying? Since we are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And prophecy, however, is not for believers, but for believers. Unbelievers, believers. This will cause, if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And I would imagine this is part of what happened in Ephesus, is when they saw these things. So next up in Acts 19 from verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading the Jews about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Paul goes to the synagogue as throughout Acts, that was the picture. As they enter a new town, a village, and they go to the synagogue there, if there was one. After three months, this was the longest he's ever had the freedom to preach in a synagogue, because usually there's a riot, or they try to sacrifice to him, or they try to murder him. So he had three months to preach in the synagogue, and still there was a rejection of the way. And so he left the synagogue, which he did every other time, and went to teach at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's a normal pattern. When Jews reject his preaching, he moves on to the Gentiles. Now, who's Tyrannus? We don't really know. It's possible, it's, it, he was, it's a Greek name, so it's possible that whoever he was was Greek. He was a teacher or a philosopher that rented out his hall to traveling teachers and philosophers, or he was a businessman who permitted Paul to use his building. Or he might have been a Jewish scholar or rabbi who had his own private synagogue and he operated a school. This hall might have also just been named after him. So let us not get too distracted by the hall of Tyrannus. Now, Acts 19 verse 8 in the ESV, there's a footnote at the end of verse 9. And it states that some manuscripts add from the 5th hour to the 10th, which, is, which means 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. That is the time frame that he would teach at this hall. So it's possible that he would have worked in his daily job, which was tent making, during the other times of the day and teach during his siesta, which is what they call it, because it was too hot to do anything else. But Paul sacrificed his siesta to teach people about the way. Imagine us having a five-hour siesta in Joburg in the middle of the day. Would we preach the gospel? <laughs> or would we nap? So the best part about that part of the scripture is verse 10. 
It says that Paul went on for two years in teaching at the Hall of Tyrannus so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is insane. That is an insane amount of people that is insane evangelizing. The gospel spread to all the other cities around Ephesus. Every Christian longs for God's church to be established and extended as his word spreads mightily and prevails. Every country in Africa should know Jesus because we are here. This scripture proves that for that to happen, there must be powerful evangelizing, empowering, and equipping. The church must preach the gospel and be empowered through God's spirit. While pastor teachers, remember that gift, you want to pastor, pastor, teach, teach, must equip the saints of the work of ministering. Oh, those are officers, pastors, and teachers. Friend, NCMI has equips all over the world. In May, Michael went to the one in Paris. There's just been one in Lesotho. There's ones all over the world. And it's for that reason to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We get to be part of that. And all of this and more was happening in Ephesus at this time, at this two-year period, during this two-year period. So from Ephesus, the word of the Lord spread all over the area. And it's probably in this time that the seven churches of Asia that Apostle John highlights in Revelation was established. This province was intensively evangelized. Have we ever been in any province in our country where we can say this province has been intensely evangelized? We think so, but has it? Have we played our part? It remained one of the leading centers of Christianity for many centuries. Verse 11 goes on to say, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that attached him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Remember how I said earlier, if God was to break through in the city of Ephesus, it would need to be crazy radical. Now, don't you think handkerchiefs and aprons playing a part in someone's healing is pretty crazy radical? Well, <laughs> this stands in comparison to the woman with the issue of blood in the Gospels where she touches Jesus' cloak in the crowd and gets instantly healed. It's the same as when Peter is walking and his shadow, wherever his shadow goes, those people in his shadow gets healed. It is that crazy radical. The extraordinary character of these miracles is seen in the fact that Paul wasn't even present for these healings. It was cloth, an apron. I'm sure it was made of cloth, not anything special. Simple handkerchiefs and aprons that a touch Paul prove effective in curing the sick. God's power was greater than anything that the people of Ephesus had ever encountered. Their own magicians and sorcerers couldn't conjure up any displays of such magnitude. But it's for a purpose. It's not just for everyday life. It was for a purpose. It is so that unbelievers may believe. 
Nowhere else in the New Testament is this repeated, which tells us that we cannot build a doctrine around the hankies and the aprons. If we want to see crazy radical in our lifetime, friends, we need to be amongst unbelievers. We need to be bold. We need to care. We need to believe that Jesus can move miraculously and that his plan is still for each and every person to know him. It's not about the handkerchief or the apron or the shadow, but God's mighty power to heal and to draw all people to know Jesus. That is why it was crazy radical. Can God still do it today? Absolutely. So from verse 13, there's even more crazy things that happen. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus from Paul, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So it was the sons of the priest. Some commentaries say that he might not even have been a priest. He might have just been self-acclaimed in his role, and his sons were just doing whatever they want. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but I don't think the spirit sounds like this. I think it would be a very scary sound. But who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. One of the themes of Acts is Christ's victory over occultism, which is magnificent. That freedom is something that nothing else can bring. Only Jesus can. There's some significance attached to the variation in the verbs for those who love language. Variation in the verbs for know, used here by the evil spirit. He said, Jesus I know. This know is the Greek gnosko, to know by interaction and experience. Remember, even demons know the name and tremble. They know it. They've experienced Jesus. They tremble. And he added, Paul I know, which is Greek epistai, to know about, to understand. So he knew about Paul. He had understanding about the role that Paul played for the kingdom. But these dudes, these seven sons, he had no idea who they were. It was common, especially among the Jews, for persons to profess or to try to cast out evil spirits. There was a fascination with it. And I think sometimes today there's still a fascination with it. There were seven brothers who no doubt witnessed some of Paul's exorcisms. And even though they didn't believe his message or become followers of Christ, they were impressed by his spiritual power. The Simon the sorcerer tried to buy this power and was absolutely cursed. They went around trying to exercise evil spirits, imitating Paul by invoking the name of the Lord Jesus with each effort. If we resist the devil by faith in Christ, he will flee from us. But if we think to resist him by the using of Christ's name or his works as a spell or a charm, Satan will prevail against us. We cannot fake it until we make it. 
In Conrad Gemp's commentary, Gemp, he notes, aside from the comical overtones of the story, there is for Luke a crucial point to make here. Contrary to common belief at the time, which, it's, which is perhaps unconsciously reflected even in Christ's phrasing about ex, Christian phrasing about exorcism, is not the name of Jesus that works in a mechanical way over the powers. The name is not a key of some sort, because even the demons know it and tremble. If we are channels of his power, it is not because we know of his name, but because we know him, and more importantly, are known by Jesus. We cannot fake it until we make it. We will run out of the house naked and bleeding. In Luke 13, verse 22 to 30 in the message, we read, Jesus went on teaching from town to town, village to town, town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course towards Jerusalem. A bystander said, Master, will only a few be saved? And he said, whether few or many is none of your business. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day, you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. You'll protest, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted with his abrupt, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. That's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders streaming from east, west, north, west, north, and south, and sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time you'll be outside looking in and wondering what happened. This is the great reversal, the last in line, put at the head of the line, and the so-called first ending up last. Neither our knowledge of Jesus or our traditions, or our good deeds are important. It matters that we confess that Jesus is our Savior and believe in our hearts. It matters that we walk in relationship with Jesus. And it matters that we are filled by the Holy Spirit and that we listen to Him. But Acts 19 goes on. Verse 17 to 20 in the message. This is more radical. This is more crazy radical. It was soon news all over Ephesus among both Jews and Greeks. The realization spread that God was in and behind this. If anything of our lives should say anything, it is that God is in and behind us. Curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the Master Jesus. Many of those who thus believed step out into the light and made a clean break with their secret sorceries. All kinds of witches and warlocks came out of the woodwork with their books of spells and incantations and made a huge bonfire of them. Someone estimated their worth at 50,000 silver coins. In such a way, it became evident that the word of the master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. With such events going on at Ephesus, it is little wonder that the people were in awe and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. What do you think is the worth of 50,000 silver coins? It's not 50,000 rand. 
it is way, 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 way more. It's an outrageous total showing clearly the Ephesians' fascinations with this stuff. Like I said earlier, very fascinated. Remember, radical was needed to break through these strongholds of the enemy. The drachma is a silver coin. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Drachma was a silver coin representing the average wage for a day. Thus, this total represents over 135 years of wages. Crazy radical is needed. And this, this insane burning of their stuff of 135 years worth of wages was because it became evident that the word of the master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. With such events going on, it is little wonder that people were in awe and, in the name of the, and that the name of the Lord Jesus was held high and in high in honor. Please stand. Take a few deep breaths because the next questions are actually really important for each and every one of us. This is our homework. This is the part that we have to, to answer for. Close your eyes also so that you're not distracted. Have we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives? Have we confessed this with our mouths and believed this in our hearts? Have we been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are we speaking in tongues and prophesying? Have we been water baptized in front of witnesses who walk this journey with us? The 12 disciples in the beginning, it happened so quick because they were very ready for all of Jesus. They didn't have one foot in the world and one foot ready for Jesus. They were very ready to embrace all of it, all of Jesus. Are we as the church evangelizing, empowering, and equipping the saints for the work of ministering? Not just some, the church, every believer. Do we find ourselves amongst unbelievers eagerly awaiting the radical, miraculous healing power of Christ? Do we know Jesus? Does he know us? What things of high value is still in our lives that we might not want to give up? Things that need to be burned. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you, Jesus, that this was, this was what you did for us. If we believe in you, we are saved. And we don't need laying on of hands, but we can be filled with your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, today I say you are welcome here. You are very welcome here. Our hearts are open for more of you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our friend. I thank you that you lead and guide us on our walks. I thank you for the beautiful symbol of water baptism. And thank you, Lord, that it's happening on the 13th, but it can happen at any time. 
any time when there's witnesses walking this journey out with us, Lord, we can be baptized and submerged fully in a pool somewhere. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities to equip and empower the saints for the ministry. Lord, I thank you that you call us to to this, each and every believer, Father. With you, it's not just one little gift. It's a next and a next and a next. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are so giving. Jesus, may we know you and may you know us. May we walk with you daily. May we do the homework. May we spend time in your word. May we spend time in prayer, getting to know you more. You do so much for us, Lord. You are the way maker and the miracle worker, Lord, but I pray that we will also do our part and get to know you. And Lord, for those things that don't belong in our lives, Lord, may you burn them up. Even if they are of high value to us. I thank thank you, Lord, for the distinguishing between your world and the world that we do not want part of. May we step into all of you, Jesus. And I thank you that we can do it with your help, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.